0: Hi, and welcome to the Legal Innovation Talks Podcast, where we have discussions with legal thought leaders from around the world in order to uncover the future of the legal space. I'm your host, Stephen Polver. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Legal Innovation Talks Podcast. It's an honor and privilege to bring on our good friend, Megan Cornell from Momentum Business Law to join us in this week's podcast. Megan, how are you doing?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me. You know, I love nothing more than to talk about legal innovation. So thanks for the invite.
0: You you know we always find that the best conversations, the best podcast recordings, are always those that just two people having a conversation. So I think if that's probably going to be the official format, is no format for the next uh, twenty thirty minutes, as as we get to engage with people and, and listeners. So I think the best thing to do is actually start off with you. So Megan, why don't you give a, why don't you give the four one one on Megan Cornell Momentum Business Law, and we'll go from there.
1: Sure thing. Um, so I've been a business lawyer in uh, Ottawa for almost 20 years now, uh, which explains a lot of the gray hair, besides the COVID explanation. Um, and I started uh, my my own firm, um, effectively started growing what what has become Momentum Business Law five years ago. We just had our five year anniversary, so we are
0: congratulations.
1: Thank you. It's, uh, it's hard to believe it went that fast and in, in a lot of ways, actually, um, I'm really, I'm thrilled with where we're at five years in. Um, and we're really very tech dependent um, in a lot of ways, but I always start out talking about innovation. Um, you know, before you reach technology, you, there's a lot of heavy lifting to do. So uh, I, I know we might get there uh, today, but, there's no doubt there's, there's no running momentum without a whole lot of technology. So.
0: Let, let, let's talk actually, before we even talk about momentum, let's talk about the problems that you were facing uh, practicing prior to, to, to starting the firm. Let's talk about the life before Momentum Business Law.
1: Sure. I was at, um, you know, what's a big firm for Ottawa, mid sized firm, I guess, uh, for Toronto. Uh, about 60 professionals, really fantastic. Burn. I love the people, I learned so much there, and in fact, um, you know, the way we practiced there really gave me the tools to be able to go out on my own. Um, that being said, I had um, the the real sense that of, of what is now called being client-centered. Uh, there was something off. Um, From that perspective, I didn't know how to articulate it yet. So I I left them um, about seven and seven and a half almost eight years ago now Um, Timed it, you know around personal reasons So I got a lot of oh leaving to have more time with your kids which annoyed the crap out of me Because (laughs) I waited actually till they were in school full-time, so I didn't have to spend time with them Um, but anyway um, You know I, I knew that there was a way to do things better tech and particularly legal tech was just kind of starting to happen, but in my world, you know, the, the tech at, at that firm was enterprise software that it took, you know, the <laughs> I'm sure you know of which I speak. It can take three years to do the procurement process <laughs> with enterprise tech. Um, and and I knew there was probably better tech out there, but I didn't know how to go about it. But also, I, I like to say. I'm married to technology literally Um, my my partner and and everybody that we spend time with is in tech so that was kind of my world and I would hear them talking about not just tech and what tech did but kind of how tech did stuff and I think that resonated as much with me as anything else that like they just approached their clients completely different than we do
0: yeah, so, so actually, I think before we even talk about the client-centric model, which is key, obviously, I know, to the way you do business and the, the way the firm does business, it's the way we do business. And I, we always try to surround ourselves with the client-centric focused, um, whether they be entrepreneurs, uh, lawyers, et cetera, et cetera. What is, a, what is a traditional non-client-centric law firm or legal practice look like? Let's, let's talk about the, the, the kind of baseline.
1: Yeah, so I think it's it's you kind of you start from the perspective of what do I do as a lawyer, and that's what you sell instead of understanding your client's problem and figuring out how to provide the solution. It's a really simple mindset thing, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just how we're we're trained as lawyers, is uh, you know we're the experts. This is what we do. We draft documents. Well, you know, you're you're te- are you telling me you want a shareholders agreement, or are you telling me you want this? You know, like it's a very sort of this is what I do. Fit your problem into what I do, as opposed to the other way around. Um, and and I think the whole industry is kind of waking up to that. So, I, you know, seven and a half years later, probably my former firm's a lot better at it too. I, well, <laughs> I, don't,
0: I would suppose, but, yeah, but there's exactly. never a guarantee, right?
1: Yeah. Um. And and a great example that that I use was I remember asking. Um, someone once that was getting me to work on a new file a technology company and i said okay well what do they do um, and the the partner passing me the file said i don't know there's like they're a tech company and like i like <laughs> they do I, stuff
0: with computers
1: yeah. that's usually that's they, usually
0: what all tech companies do right they just do yeah. stuff with computers
1: and like you laugh right because it's it's a crazy thought that we could deliver legal services to somebody not understanding what they do. Um, right. And that that the fact that I return to that example constantly is probably goes to say that I that was the beginning of the end for me. <laughs>
0: Well, if you if if you think about it too, I mean, you look at other industries. Look at look at how consultants you know work where they where they literally move to the city that the client is in, and they're immersed in the culture of the the company. Generally, you know, that's that's the role of a of, of a consultant or a team of consultants versus yeah. the traditional legal space, which is uh, we're we're in our large office tower. Well, you are you are out there. Um, selling or doing whatever, whatever it is, your company is there, there's a there's a significant disconnect. So what I'm hearing from you is, um, you know, let, let's find a way to actually understand what our clients do, so that we can provide better, uh, we can provide better resources and uh, really create a value added experience. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So, so you, you discover, um, you know, seven, around seven years ago, and five years ago, you've started momentum that there's going to be a push and you feel it, that there's going to be this push towards a client centric uh, way of, of doing legal practice. And I should say too, this resonates very well with me because right around five years is also uh, right around the same timeline that I left I left big law, so there, maybe maybe there was one market defining moment in that in that time that that we can't quite put put our finger on, but I do know that there's several others that were around the space practicing either in big law or, or, or elsewhere, you know, five, six, seven years ago that have now uh, firmly entrenched themselves in, in the in the Canadian legal landscape. So let's talk and, now.
1: Yeah. Oh, and go on, please. Just, let me just say something important about that too, Stephen, because. Think back to um, the, the economic downturn of 98, 99. Actually, like there, there is an intervening factor there, which we, as, as professionals across the board, whatever you did, you experienced everyone cutting back budgets on professionals, et cetera. Um, you, you, we saw our clients go bankrupt and, or change and pivot, etc. somehow survive or not survive that, um, that change. However, you know, it, and I didn't leave until several years after that, but I think it was really important if you were kind of processing it as a business lawyer in particular to think about like, you don't enter a market as a professional and stay static. Like, everything around you, you have to assume things are going to change. Are they changing faster now? Probably, but like, I've only been at this for 20 years, so I don't know it's- if it's changing faster or not, but it's changing fast, right?
0: But is that obvious? It's obvious to us. It's obvious to probably listeners of this podcast. Those mm-hmm. things are obvious. But we're also dealing with an industry that um, is actually the inverse in many ways of that. That that not changing is actually part of the culture of the practice of law in so yeah. many ways. Uh, you know, more so probably on the litigation, on the litigation formalities, like you know all those pieces. But it certainly is an industry that is rooted in in staying the same. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I I completely agree and. And totally aligned with your comment but I think for for us it's easy to say you know lawyers or professionals need to change whereas if you're in it it's it's sometimes harder to actually appreciate that unless you either are, are reading the legal innovation uh you know posts online and you're you're involved mm-hmm. in the community it's probably easy to to maintain status quo which is probably the nugget of what has has caused some stagnation in, in places and you know yeah
1: yeah, and I, I think I misspoke. I think I said 98, 99. I meant 2008, 2009. Right. Um, and, and you're right. That's when the discussion on legal innovation really did start heating up. So we, we can pretend nothing happened around then. But in fact, right. for both of us, something did kind of happen, whether we, whether we were you know, recognizing that it was the beginning of us really thinking deeply about um, things or not.
0: So uh, it's a great point. So let's talk specifically now we've talked about the client sent what it means to be client centric. We've talked a little bit about um, we've talked a, a little bit about momentum in particular. Um, I'd love to, to learn just a little bit more about what makes your firm your practice in particular unique uh, and some things that you might want to teach other people who are looking into potentially um, you know, starting their own firm or changing the way that, that, that they're practicing. So I guess two-part two question. One is uh, a little bit more about, about the things you do internally, and, and second is some advice for those that are, that are taking this journey for the first time.
1: Sure. So it, it's funny because there's sort of two answers to the question. One is uh, if a client says to you or a potential client says to you, well, what makes you different? Um, a lot of what makes us different goes on behind the scenes and no client knows um, really what's driving how we provide services to them. And there's little things like, oh, you can have online access to your documents. None of that is really that sexy to a client, to be honest. And so it's actually really hard to articulate how different we are to a client besides saying, we're really good to work with. Like, we, we work every day to be really, really good to work with. Because if I start rambling on uh, about all those things, they, they have zero interest. I think that's really important to, um, to consider when you start thinking about whether you're brand new to practice or um, trying to kind of work on some of the aspects that you could in, uh, to innovate, is that if you don't start from what's going to improve the client experience um, first and then what is going to improve the lawyer experience, thereby probably improving the client experience, um, then you're not coming about it the right way, I don't think, because you want, um, you want the client experience to be um, as good as possible. You may be the only lawyer they've ever dealt with, or you may be the 10th or 20th lawyer they've dealt with. If you're the 10th or 20th, they're going to pick up on the things that make you exceptional, and that's great, but um, for a lot of people, It's going to kind of go over their head Um, and so you've got to just be content with the fact that you're running a really good practice um, in in a really good way so that's that's the first caveat is don't expect people to line up because you do things differently from a client perspective Um, but where we started from or, or we, we didn't even start from, honestly, learn, learn from what I did, which was the, the shotgun at the wall, a million, do a million things at once. See what sticks. <laughs> exactly. Um, but really, with reflection, we've been able to notice um, that we've really focused on communications with clients, um, process, documentation, and improvement, and improvement largely being through technology. Um, and the communication improvement largely being through technology but you start with the fundamental that you want to communicate with your clients better and you want to have better processes internally to your to your firm and that doesn't need really fancy technology um, you <laughs> if you're me you're going down the rabbit hole of new software almost weekly um, and that's fine if that floats your boat, but it can get really overwhelming really fast, so if you start from the basics and just say, I'm gonna use really simple tools and make them, kind of use them to their best ability, so, um, you know, I, I, I wrote a blog post um, early in COVID about what do you really need to do to work in the cloud, work remotely, I said, Microsoft Office Suite, like, don't discount it, it's sitting on your computer, probably, unless you're a real Google aficionado, Um, but it's got some really impressive tools for things. And then for us, we use Clio. There's lots of other practice management software, but um, whichever one you're using, use every single possible tool it has. It may only get you 70 or 80% of the way there for what you want, but um, it's don't, don't like run into the make the mistake of, of running into a separate tool for every little thing until you've really tried um, to work with what you have. So a, a good example where now teams is, is becoming much uh, wider usage but we, we've used teams really effectively um, at our firm but the other key piece of, of uh, Microsoft that we started using uh, was OneNote. So we now have you know, effectively like a franchise operations manual in OneNote that covers every single tiny aspect of what we do. And that's just using a Microsoft tool that's completely free. Um, and it is, it's intense. That document <laughs> it is so big, but it's searchable. It links to videos that you create and teams. Like it's just, Microsoft is incredibly uh, powerful and Google does, Google is too. <laughs> if you love Google, <laughs> just make it work for you. Whatever you're using, um, and, and the more you're kind of documenting stuff that goes to the process, um, the better. And and we do that with with Clio as well. We use their their task lists and and pre-programmed uh, you know emails, forms, everything is kind of in there in workflows um, for us. And if you can master just one practice management thing and really harness the power of whatever tool you're using for your office suite. Um, it doesn't feel overwhelming. Like those are things you're using. So just use them better um, is the first step.
0: I, I, I like those suggestions a lot. I think that there's a lot of great learnings from from those pieces that, that you brought up. Uh, one One piece in particular was this idea of the communications technologies that you have and the workflow and productivity. Right. And in most cases, they're not going to be the same tool. Like you're just, you're going to have to use, you're going to have to use two in in some, in some way. Um, But I think that that was really insightful uh, in terms of, Um, looking at the different types that you're going to need a really good communication tool. I mean, you've said both internally and externally, I know you've mentioned you using Microsoft teams. We're actually playing around with it a little bit. Um, We're we're currently a Slack organization, but certainly interested in the growth of teams. It's been, it's been really unbelievable. And then of course the productivity uh, that, and I think in many ways that's going to be specific to your area of practice. If you're in family law, you're going to use a certain set of tools. If you're in corporate, business, litigation, yeah. whatever, whatever it might be but yeah. starting small, right? Yeah. I'm so much like you, Megan, I, I should say I, I smiled to myself when you said uh, you know, whether it's it's starting a new tool every week or a new a new <laughs> sign up for a new software I think uh, I, I certainly uh, can understand that that's that's my lineage, like that's, that's just the way I'm built as well uh, sure. but I think th- there's this point though as a, as a legal or modern professional which is all around, we're going to find the tools, we're going to stick to them and we're going to we're really going to try using them to their fullest right so so one piece that you brought up that I think is interesting that I'd love to segue into is around this idea of documentation internally Right. So, uh, creating processes, creating documents, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, a new hire is able to just read through uh, a set of documents. You can point them in the right direction. In fact, I've actually seen your posts on on LinkedIn and other social channels showing off, you know, here are the workflows here. here. Mm -hmm. And I should say, as an aside, I think it's unbelievable that you share that. I think it's great. Uh, And I think it's needed in this industry from people like yourself who are saying, here are our best practices. They work for us. Maybe they'll work for you. And I, I really want to applaud you for that. I, it's, it's noticeable to, to to, me for sure that, that you're putting it out there. Uh, and not a lot of people, I, I think, would be as open to just sh- sharing things like like you are. So I think that's great. Tell me now, because we, we spoke a little bit before, around how uh, you're now going to use this to help train and work with uh, with lawyers or the new breed of lawyers uh, moving forward that may or may not have a, a nexus to momentum business law, but you're there to support them. Tell us a little bit about your initiatives there.
1: Yeah, so we came out of training uh, going completely virtual, of course, like many people did, um, and and onboarded four students in May. And um, that pushed us on a lot of little nooks and crannies that hadn't been filled out that were sort of in somebody's head that it was really easy to to poke your head around a door and say remind me what I'm supposed to do for this so um that that process of onboarding for students and in watching how incredibly quickly they could get up to productivity time to productivity you know like other industries besides law talk about that and we never do but I can tell you I am shocked at how fast our time to productivity was with our students, Um, and and amazingly proud. It was a huge team effort, Um, but because of that, in this training schedule we came up with, which we've revisited many times with the students, like what's missing, what's now obviously not clear, we should have done a follow-up session on that kind of stuff. Um, we've said, well, you know, like we're like this small but mighty firm that can, can do a much bigger volume of work than the number of bodies uh, would suggest because of the processes and technology we use. Um, but nonetheless, we can still also help um, train new lawyers that haven't had the opportunity. Perhaps they articled um, somewhere where there, there was no business law but they want to be a business lawyer. Uh, we all know sometimes you're in a position where you just take an articling job because you're <laughs> you're happy you have a job um or their their business uh exposure um you know wasn't very strong or they didn't have a great mentor uh, for any number of reasons um particularly if you're going to practice um, either as a solo or potentially even join momentum um, there is a, we're now very confident that we can get you to productivity as a business lawyer in six to eight weeks. And so we are, um, we were so inspired by that process that we did in the spring that um, in, we're, we're planning on launching it in October, we're going to replicate that, but with new calls that feel they need it. I mean, obviously, there's lots of articling students that got a great experience and <laughs> know a lot, but if you're a new call and you wanna be a, a business lawyer, um, we are going to run this as a, a six to eight week session. Um, we're actually gonna pay people this year um, to take it because we wanna see, um, it, it's gonna be a two way street, you know, like does this work? Like we, we think it works, but <laughs> does it work to, to train people? Um, And, and of course, the training is not just on how to be a business lawyer, but um, our our brands of technology, how we use them. And if you at least get comfortable with them, even if you're not going to use those particular pieces, I'm I'm confident that understanding why you would use them will help you choose another one. Um, We'll cover off CLE. Obviously, we're applying for LSO. uh, Accreditation for the CLE um, piece, so you should be able to get most of your CLE for the year. Um, and, and then also, you know, a really heavy emphasis on that client centered um, approach to practicing law. Um, so I'm really excited because I love a, that I love to teach. Like I really that sounds
0: amazing. That sounds that sounds amazing. And of course, to the extent that that myself or our team or or anyone in this community can be of assistance in putting together programming or whatnot, that sounds that sounds terrific. So uh, yeah. kudos kudos to you on that. So we're certainly going to have to have you back on in October to to actually talk about this. Cool. Uh, but I but I know also your your Tuesday was. Tuesdays with Lawyers community as well is probably championing behind this. So I think there's lots of great opportunities, especially over the coming months. I think that that is just a terrific, terrific, terrific idea. And I think you're going to find people that are not just first-year calls.
1: Yeah, and we're uh, totally open to that too. We, that's already kind of <laughs> come up in our discussions. I, well, yeah, I guess why
0: not? It's it's interesting too because a constant theme, at least over the last couple of recordings we've done through this podcast, have been around actually legal education, uh, Ryerson Law uh, mm-hmm. changes. So changes. excited about that! Yeah, so and I, I I have not been shy about my excitement for the program uh, either. Like I think it's just it's it's needed and it's. Just the initial class, knowing uh, a handful of the students, it's, you know, it's going to be something very, very special. Uh, and yeah, so so really, really excited about about that incoming class. It's interesting to see you now on the other side of that, which is, okay, you're going to finish law school. Uh, mm-hmm. Now what? Yeah. You know, now what do you, or, or you finished articling? Now yeah. what? And I think that the, what you're planning is a really, really needed piece in, in all this. So kudos to that. So we're excited to hear more about that. Megan, anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up this week's episode?
1: I just love that um, you're helping continue the the discussion of legal innovation. Um You know, there's a lot of little pockets um, discussing it, and and I think the more we talk about it, and I hate to say normalize it because that overly dramatizes the issue, but um, those of us that chat with each other all the time think that the whole world is focused on legal innovation, and yet the minute you're out of, of our little bubble, it's interested in this stuff um you realize that in fact a lot of lawyers are in survival mode uh, um, particularly in the solo small firm environment but even even in larger firms and it's really hard to when you're in survival mode um to take a step back and, and say like how can we make law better you know like it sounds like something that only those with the luxury of time and and an independent uh independent wealth can can do and so i think the more we're sort of pushing these little nuggets of, you know, little like baby steps um, and, and focusing really on how practice um, innovation doesn't have to be this giant overhaul of your of your practice, but you can do little things to improve it, um, the better.
0: Absolutely. I, I, I love those words. I think, uh, you know, we're at a point now where You know, I I agree with your comments around the word normalize, uh, but maybe there's no better term for for just explaining this piece, right? Which is, uh, you know, more people should and ought to be talking about legal innovation. And to the extent that our community and your community and all these great communities out there are able to really come together and have a, a more public voice through things like podcasts, videos, Online seminars. Uh, it's only going to go to help not just the legal industry, but I think the the outer, uh, you know, the perceptions of the legal industry uh, from the outside. Uh, it's time for the legal innovation community to to rise up and and uh, really really shine on on a global stage uh, in, in ways that. We just haven't yet. It's still a new industry, legal innovation or new new catchphrase, all things considered. Uh, and I, like you, am so excited to see what the future holds.
1: Yeah, agreed.
0: Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where do people find you online, Megan Cornell?
1: Momentum.law.
0: Momentum.law. And right. Megan Cornell, you will find her uh prolific on LinkedIn and other social media platforms. I wish I could write and produce as much content as you do. Uh, our contributions of a, of a podcast are already hard enough, but you're, uh, you're, you're busy at work on, a, on, on even, even more so than me. So kudos to you and all the work you do. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. We definitely have to connect in October before, before the launch of, uh, of, of your new program.
1: Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. And, and yeah, uh, looking forward to continuing the conversation.
0: Absolutely. So this has been another episode of the Legal Innovation Talks podcast with our friend Megan Cornell from Momentum Business Law. We'll catch you next time.